Welcome to Blockstars, Ripple's podcast that features leaders in crypto and blockchain to discuss the basics of these technologies, the current landscape, and the real-world problems being solved. I'm your host, Ripple CTO David Schwartz. Today, I'm joined by Keyless co-founders Fabian Eberly and Paolo Gasti to discuss how they're using cryptography to protect digital assets. It's great to have you both on our episode. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us, David. Fabian, why don't you kick us off and talk a little bit about the Keyless mission and how you're applying cryptography to solve some key, no pun intended, problems in authentication and identity management. Thanks very much. Yeah, a real pleasure to, to be on the show. We, we are a deep tech cybersecurity company innovating and shaking up the authentication and digital identity space. And we're building the world's first privacy-preserving biometric authentication and personal identity management platform that empowers businesses to embrace passwordless protect the remote workforce and enable strong customer authentication with just a look. But this technology allows for much more such as cryptographic signatures, which we're quite excited about in the context of identity. And this is based on more than a decade of research in biometrics and cryptography, uh, in particular, the unique combination of privacy preserving technologies such as secure multi-party computation and zero knowledge proofs with uh, machine learning and modern biometric authentication methods such as facial recognition and behavioral biometrics. So what's the problem, um, Fabian? What's the state of authentication and identity management today for consumers or for financial institutions? What needs to be fixed? What are the challenges? Yeah, to be frank, authentication and identity management are quite broken, where for us as users, we're all forced to remember dozens, if not hundreds of unique passwords and pins to access our online services, which isn't only cumbersome for us, right? But also for the business who has to securely store and manage our personal data, which is typically done in a central database that attracts hackers to execute data breaches that result in compromised privacy and ultimately in a significant financial burden. And we're constantly faced with this trade-off between prioritizing either privacy and security versus convenience. And when we look back at the evolution of authentication, we've come from passwords as the sole and single factor over hard tokens in the enterprise context as an added layer for security to soft tokens, SMS, 2FA on the consumer side, to biometrics and local biometrics uh, made popular by Apple's touch and face ID systems that partially solve the user experience issues around passwords, but come with severe limitations around interoperability reach and thus penetration of these solutions to a future that we at Keyless see private, where based on Paolo and our team's research over the past, we're introducing this privacy-preserving, zero-knowledge biometric authentication platform uh, that solves this trade-off between security, privacy, and user experience. So, Paolo, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how those challenges are experienced from the enterprise side rather than from the consumer side. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, clearly, the, the, the first problem with the enterprise here is cost. Um, this as a this in in many in many different areas. So one is is actually day to day cost. Um, password resets are expensive. Um, users being locked out of their accounts are expensive. They can't do their work. Um, it's also expensive because any any other solution that requires, for instance, hardware tokens and anything else that requires supports also breaks and and has to be. And it's a cost. 
um, it's expensive when things go wrong from um, from a tax point of view, right? Um, exploitation of, of credential, credential stuffing, um, phishing, impersonation, all these are really, really expensive attacks. And uh, if you think about it, most of this problem is really due to um, due to the, the fact that we're still tied to password more than more than we should. Um, if uh, if, there, if there were a better way to to actually do authentication, uh, this I think these problems I think would go away. And that's exactly what we what we wanted to do here. That's exactly um, what Keyless goal is. At the end of the day, we are um, we're taking. Uh, biometric authentication uh, with privacy and using it really to to get a secure way to do key management. And as, as, as you know, as the listeners know, once you can do key management, you can do a lot of things, right? You can do authentication is just the beginning. Um, you can do uh, asset protection, you can manage your assets, you can, you can do digital signatures, you can uh, do um, access control through encryption. So that there is the sky's the limit at that point. So that's that's where that's where we started. We started with authentication, but we think in the enterprise we can solve a lot of all these problems that are really costing a lot to enterprises. So it sounds like you kind of anticipated the next thing that I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you about um, all these proliferation of identity systems like Facebook Connect and Google Login, which I think they're trying to address the I have 50,000 passwords and I have to change I don't even know. I don't remember them all. Like I, I have to change them in all these different places. But they certainly don't address those other those other issues. They're basically limited to authentication. Is that correct? Yeah. No. Absolutely. No. Correct. I mean, if you if you think back, there's these three models of of identity on the internet, starting from siloed identities. What you initially mentioned with us having a username and password for each and every account we are logging in, uh, having to manage hundreds of different passwords in theory, uh, but we are probably reusing the same password all over uh, the place. And then you have these Google uh, or Facebook connect buttons uh, or Twitter logins uh, that you use where you have that federated identity that makes it convenient for us. But on the other side, we're trading in our privacy or control of the data we're tracked. And we've, I mean, all seen or been involved in uh, in these data leaks or breaches or uh, exploits of privacy and user information on the internet. and. Obviously, I think we're seeing a change toward, um, yeah, not misusing our trust and people being or becoming receptive to a new type of identity model that is more centered around us as people. Uh, There's more user-centric where each and every one of us makes a connection on a peer-to-peer level uh, with that service that we are interacting um, that, yeah, is based or can be based on these decentralized identity networks that are being built uh, and these infrastructures that are underpinned with key management capabilities that are required um, for this to work, uh, where our technology can be a, a piece of the puzzle um, where we can contribute to, to making this more seamless whilst protecting privacy and ensuring security in, in using these systems. So what do you think is the biggest opportunity for improvement? Is it, um, is it adding more features beyond just identity? Is it giving the user more control? Is it better trust and transparency? Is everything important? Yes, all of these are all of these are important. Um, if if you have a secure mechanism that is too hard to use or too hard to understand, no one's going to use it properly, or just no one's going to use it. So, uh, user experience is clearly one of the major factors here. Uh, flexibility is another is another thing that we think is very valuable because um, the more you can do with the, with a system, the better you know, and the more you can do the more users they will find that and, and, and if the system is secure as we think our is 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 clearly something that can 
that can benefit you in a, in a lot of places. Um, in terms of control, of course, that's that's important. Um, if what what we are pushing Achilles is really control on on the user. Um, you are the only one. You and your device are the only ones who have um, all full control on on, on uh, who is storing what and 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 when. So uh, we we take a strong stance on privacy, which means that nothing private ever leaves your device uh, without being uh, heavily processed and encrypted in a, in a one-way fashion. So uh, you control um, your keys, you control anything that you use to access your keys, in our case, is primarily biometric. So user control is, is really an important aspect there. Um, and, and of course, we're not the first uh, to, to, to bring that up, but we think we have a uh, quite a unique twist in, in how we put together user experience, security, and, and user control in one place. We think this is something the user can, can understand, the user can, uh, can relate to with respect to what they're doing and therefore can, can use effectively. I wanted to ask both of you about something that I've struggled with professionally for a long time, which is the importance of privacy. I understand on a theoretical level, and I could talk for hours about how important privacy is. And yet, what I see is like, if you look at consumer behavior, they throw away their privacy at the drop of a hat. They use services that, they, that are free because they're essentially paying by giving their information to other people. They're allowing targeted advertisements. Now, like, this is not a new problem, but it's certainly more pronounced in the internet age. And one of the things that I find is that when I talk to people and I tell them, like, don't you care about your privacy? They're like, absolutely, that's super important to me. But then if you look at their behavior, you don't see anything in their behavior that reflects that. And when you are trying to promote a product that's technically superior and one of the advantages is privacy and people don't really care about privacy, have, have, well, I'll start off by asking if you guys, have you experienced that where consumers will say they care about privacy, but you, you don't necessarily believe them on, on sort of like on the consumer edge? Oh yeah, no, no, certainly that's the case. And that, that is that trade-off that I think initially mentioned where, yes, everyone cares about privacy. People do care about security, but once it becomes or adds any sort of friction uh, in, in the user experience, you just stop using it. And then you go back and using the Facebook button or uh, whatever else it is. Um, what, what we do see though, in, in terms of um, yeah, making privacy as um, a default in in newly built products or technologies um, that that makes these things work. Um, where also I'm based in Europe, where we have these legal frameworks around GDPR now coming up with CCPA in, in California, PDPA in Singapore, the same in Brazil, etc. Where yes, and especially um, uh, yeah, corporates need to treat uh, private data in a certain way. And I think where um, one approach that we are taking in Keyless, for example, is we're thinking this is the right step to do. And obviously, I'm, I'm quite happy that these regulations are there, even though, yes, you have the cookie policies and all those pop-ups that in the end, you just click yes, yes, yes. And it feels like, okay, it's just an added friction that you need to adhere with. But on the other side, what, what we're doing with biometric authentication is quite radically different in the way that we perform biometric authentication, but we're not involving personal identifiable information. Um, so... At the very least, this is GDPR compliant, uh, but it actually exceeds these requirements because we don't involve personal data at all, even though it's biometrics and inherently private. And on the other side, you're having these um, security frameworks, especially in the financial sector with uh, PST2 or open banking in Europe, uh, where 
the bank is required to authenticate their consumers with at least two factors, being an inheritance factor like biometrics, a knowledge factor like a PIN or password. Um, so you end up receiving one-time codes that you need to copy and paste whenever you make a payment uh, or a soft token you switch to like a Google Authenticator or a secure banking app. Um, so we have these regulations that enforce security in these processes, but do add another layer of friction um, in, for example, authorizing a payment uh, above a certain threshold of like in Europe, 30 euros per, per payment. And one of the solutions or products that we're offering is basically a one look um, multi-factor process where I, as a consumer um, of a bank, um, I can make a payment, don't have to switch to another application to perform that MFA process, don't have to copy paste uh, a one-time code or receive with an email or um, SMS. Uh, I simply remain in that app. I look into my camera, I can use any device I want to use. Um, and I authenticate with multiple factors by design, uh, whilst I don't reveal um, any of my private data to anybody. Um, so my biometric template isn't stored on my device. I can use any device. It isn't stored on a central server or database of a third-party provider, um, but it is encrypted, split up, uh, and stored in yeah, one-way encrypted shares on a network of nodes uh, that perform the distributed authentication that looks and feels like Face ID, um, but yeah, essentially offers a notion that has privacy and security built into the system. But as you said, if you if you had any friction anywhere, I, it, it's hard to adopt. So David, I, I really love your question. I think it's a very interesting one, but I have to say, I, I, I think I disagree with the with the premise of that question. Uh, you, you seem to imply that there is actually a choice for users uh, between uh, having using a private system or system that protects their privacy and one that does not, but I don't know that that is really true today. Um, if I'm a user and I want to browse the web, I want to uh, buy something on, 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 on Amazon or, or, or find something on, or search for something on Google, um, I, I, I just can't really do it in, in, in a private way. And those are the tools that... Uh, are easy to use and then people tend to use. Uh, I, I could go all the way in, use Tor, use, use a, a search engine that is, is more respectful, uses privacy, uh, but that is really not something that uh, the average user is able to do. Um, where I think we differ from that is in that we are, as keyless, we're making not only um, authentication uh, more private, but also easier to use. So in that case, I think it's a win-win in terms of security and privacy. Uh, and, and usability and user experience. So uh, that's where I think we're better than, than what you can do now, for instance, with the web. So I'll ask you the same question about security then. Uh, a lot of people will see security as a pure cost center, and they'll tell you that it's cheaper to say you're secure than to actually be secure. And when you're trying to sell people a product where security is a significant advantage and you put a tremendous amount of effort into making sure the product really is secure, you have to convince people that that matters. Has, has that been difficult, or have you had particular ways that you do that, or do you, maybe you disagree with the premise? <laughs> no, not this time. I, I, I think this is spot on. Um, I, you're absolutely right. And and in working on Keyless, I, I I I found out that there are really two kinds of people in the world: those that haven't been. Uh, those that don't know they have been hacked and those that do know that and they're really, really looking for something that will prevent it the next time. So um, you're absolutely right. If if you get in the room and they start asking that question, but why, why do we need it? Why do we have to pay extra costs? Why do we have to deploy something that we don't have? That's not probably a customer you're going to win. But more and more often you get into the room and you say, we have this problem. 
we, we've been studying what you're doing for, for the past five, 10 years. We haven't been able to do it. You come with that solution that is ready to implement. Where do we sign, right? So it's, it's, there's nothing in between. That's, that's the interesting part. Either you get into the room, they immediately get it, the customer immediately gets it, and, and it's, it's an easy sale, or, or we just know that there's no way. Yeah, bringing that back to to today, maybe uh, it's May May 2020, where we're seeing more and more people working from home, um, and yeah, there's less, uh, a lot fewer security def- defenses when when you're working from home. So the network security of of your Wi-Fi isn't as good as your corporate network, uh, and we're seeing phishing and scam websites themed around that pandemic exploding on, on the web. Actually, when it comes to phishing. Emails, it's around 600 or 700% more uh, than a month ago. Um, so you're really having, uh, first of all, you, you need to be aware of, uh, of these threats um, and the things that are happening. And at the end of the day, it's predominantly, or it comes back to passwords, where 80% of all the data breaches that involve weak or stolen passwords. So I think it's the very easy steps that all of us can take in just enabling 2FA or MFA on all of our accounts if you use passwords. If you can go passwordless and remove password-based attacks altogether, that's great. Um, but if you, say, log into your carbon network using the VPN uh, and these type of things are, um, are certainly things that all of us should be doing. Um, but yeah, on the other side, it's, it's pretty much... When it comes to security and privacy, it, it needs to go with uh, as you, a user experience that it is acceptable. If you add too much complexity or, or friction, you really need to have felt the pain before uh, in order to adopt a solution. So it's May of 2020 now. We're in the middle of the coronavirus lockdowns. There's been a drastic change in the way business is conducted. So l- let's go back before that for a minute, and then we can talk about how it changed. So before that... There was a pretty big backlash against the tech industry. I mean, this is before tech was absolutely essential to the way ev- literally every. I mean, it probably was, but it wasn't so obvious that it was uh, so essential. There was a huge focus on self-sovereign identity systems. Um, there was a narrative around cryptocurrency, and there was that big tech backlash. Um, how do you see identity in in that world? Yeah, no, I, I think identity really becomes. Uh, a focal point uh, in in all of these things where, um, I mean, in the enterprise context, you talk about zero trust security uh, paradigms where you're basically securing uh, at the application uh, level rather than the enterprise network uh, or the firewalls, um, where authentication um, in the context of identity is, uh, is very important as you need a, a dynamic or more risk-based approach uh, to access to cloud platforms uh, or the corporate networks, uh, et cetera. Um, and yeah, having a solution that both uh, offers privacy and, and strong security and reliability in accessing um, the corporate platforms remotely, uh, whilst offering a delightful user experience that everyone can use. Uh, and there's industries like healthcare with telemedicine or education uh, with remote schooling, exams that have to be held um, remotely or um, classes that are held remotely, uh, which people haven't done before. And even something as easy as um, performing a class via Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Cisco WebEx uh, can be difficult for some people. Um, So if you add or tell someone to adopt some um, complex security product, um, it it can add a friction and basically prevent business from happening um, 
uh, as it is. But I think the situation has helped accelerate digital transformation at speeds that I think were in, unthinkable before. Uh, I guess um, I think it was yesterday or the day before when Microsoft uh, on their earnings call basically said that two years of um, digital transformations have happened in the past two weeks. Um, so I think businesses are just rapidly moving uh, business online. Um, and yeah, authentication and identity becomes a very important piece um, of enabling that, that shift. Yeah, I think it's undeniable that this has accelerated the adoption of those kinds of technologies. Paolo, how do you see that kind of change? No, absolutely. We, we've... Um we finally realized that uh, there, are, there are way more gaps in, in, in this way of working than what we expected. All of a sudden, from one day to the next, everybody has to work from home. They have no no secure way to access their, their accounts, no secure way to access their workstation and, and, and their internal resources. Uh, so, I mean, what do you do at that point? Or do, you, uh, do you have people to access them insecurely without a VPN or do you hastily deploy a VPN and then who knows what's going to go wrong with that? I mean, how many things are going to go wrong with that? Um, I, I think this is, uh, we, we've come to a realization also to your previous question. Um, if you if you didn't know that you needed security before, now now you really do, do know that. You, you've seen not only the attacks, but you've also seen all the things that have broken since, since users have started working from home. So uh, what... I, I think that that helps that has helped us a lot because uh, I'm probably biased here, but since we've been working on biometric for quite some time, I see biometrics as a, as a, a great way to actually enable working from home. Um, I can work from home, I can log in with a password, but uh, no one would really know who who is logging in at this point, other than someone who who knows my password is it me, is it someone else? Biometrics give you that that extra peace of mind because uh, well, I, I I know is is Paolo, and I know that because. Uh, Somebody presented a, a fresh live uh, biometric sample right now that was checked uh, immediately, was checked right now. So I know that this is Paolo. And uh, if you tie that to an identity, then that opens a, a world of possibilities. We've been, because of this COVID-19, we've been in touch with several companies that uh, would like to work with freelancers, for instance. And, and you want these freelancers to be able to have their identity move, moved from, from one company to the next and then to the next uh, based on their biometrics. So this is something, this is, again, a, a new world of possibilities that, that this has opened that for us is, is really, really interesting. And it's a, it's a really good fit for biometrics. You, you, you really get to know uh, who really is on the other side of the wire as if that person was in the same room with you. So very exciting for us, for sure. What would either of you say to a, a sort of consumer biometric skeptic? So like if my position was, yeah, I like biometrics, but like I can't change my fingerprints. So if they get compromised or once my fingerprints get out into devices, then everyone's going to have them. And then how can you use them to uniquely identify me? Or, you know, I, I've got this, I've grown this long beard in, uh, in quarantine, but if I shave it off tomorrow, then I won't be able to get into my bank account because it uses face ID. Like, like what's the general answer to that type of skeptic? That's a, that's a great question, and I, and, I, and I think we can answer that on, on, on two different levels. One is security, like a, a hard security, and the other one is user perception. And they're, uh, although they're very different, they're, they're equally important. So on the security side, uh, this you're absolutely right. You, 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 what you say is correct. That is, this is really, really not only valuable and precious data, but also irreplaceable data, right? If 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 a company loses 500 million passwords, oh well, it's a big deal, of course, but 
users can change them. But if they lose 500 million of, of, of biometric samples, that's, that's, that's a different class of problem. So that, that, is, really, that is really a big deal. Um, that's why if you, the only way to do biometrics really, especially a scale, is, is to do it with some form of, of cryptographic protection. You have to be sure that uh, nothing private is ever shared with anyone uh, who might want to use these biometrics. So that's, and we're lucky because we're at a point in time where not only we have cryptographic tools that can do that, but we also, we also have fast enough systems that can actually run those cryptographic tools in, in basically in real time. So that's, that, that's a great combination we think that is enabling these technologies. Um, on the user's perception side, uh, I think there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, users correctly are very concerned about their biometric data. Uh, and uh, it's, sometimes it's hard to explain uh, what a privacy preservative system is able to do uh, and how it's able to protect their data. Uh, sometimes they don't trust uh, maybe a specific vendor, a specific implementation. So in that sense, uh, the perception is very important because lack of trust will probably push them to choose a solution that is far less secure and far less a privacy preserving, so uh, it's it's very counterproductive for users. So that's that's where a lot of effort we think we, we need to put. Uh, we and, and everybody else needs to put a lot of effort again. Is is in perception. So every time there's a, a, a compromise of a database and passwords or other information is stolen, I always make the joke that affected individuals are advised to change their mother's maiden name in the street they grew up on. Obviously, you can't you can't do that. Um, Enterprises don't want to store this information because it, if, they, if it's compromised, it causes damage and it's not something that there's no real value in them having it. Um, do, you have an, do you have an alternative to enterprises having to store information or a better way to allow them to avoid compromise? So, no, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's really the core of, of the technology that we developed. That is, um, we, we do want to have all the benefits of having centralized authentication where uh, we, we do have the, the, the the truth lives in the cloud, right? You, you can have as many devices as you want, uh, and it, it doesn't matter which device you're using, your biometric is still the same, and you want to have exactly the same experience. You're on a desktop, you're on, a, on an iOS device, you're on an Android device, it, it should be the same. And you can get it if you have um, a centralized place where biometric information lives. Now, uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be screaming, bloody murder, how can you have a centralized place with everybody's biometrics? And, and I agree with that. And the way to do it is, is by using math, hard math and cryptography. Uh, so what you can do there is you can have mathematical proofs that the way in which you're processing a certain type of very sensitive information is completely secure. And there is nothing that the party storing it, the company storing it, uh, the cloud can do with that information. This information is completely opaque to them. And only a user, uh, possibly with a trusted device, uh, so their phone, their laptop, and with their own biometric information can make any use of that information, right? Can can uh, test whether or not, uh, yeah, th is this my face or not, right? So in, in a sense, um, the you have to set the bar very high because again, you're dealing with very private information. So not only you shouldn't be able to see any kind of transformed version of the data of your biometrics that can still disclose something. You shouldn't even be able to check if, if a certain user is enrolled in a system. You shouldn't even be able to check, oh, is David part of, of this biometric system, right? Even that would be a huge violation. And you can achieve all of this with cryptography. And, and in this day and age, you can, achieve, you can do all this cryptographic computation on a, on a mobile phone uh, without running down the battery, without taking more than 
a small fraction of a second, a couple hundred milliseconds. So the technology is there, and uh, it, it, there's really no point in not using it. I, I, so this is near and dear to my heart as a cryptographer, the fact that we have brand new cryptographic primitives and operations that enable us to do amazing things that we couldn't do before. We could do a whole episode on zero-knowledge proofs and probably should at some time. But there's that trade-off between privacy and security that, that has always been painful. And I think it's incredibly exciting that zero-knowledge proofs gives us a better way to make that trade-off. So for those who might not be familiar with zero-knowledge proofs, zero-knowledge proofs are a cryptographic technique that allows a, a person or an entity or a piece of software to prove it knows something without revealing the thing that it knows. And that's super important to this sort of security-privacy trade-off. Like if you know a password... You, if you prove you know the password by revealing the password, then you're constantly revealing the password. If you could prove you knew the password without revealing the password, you wouldn't have to make that painful trade-off between privacy and security. Fabian, you want to talk about um, how, how we can make that trade-off better with some of the new technologies? No, yeah, exactly. And I think what, what Paolo just mentioned, where you have these databases of biometric or other sensitive users' data, where Solution providers who offer cloud solutions that are accessible from any device and any platform uh, that essentially end up having a central database or company control either your customers or employees' data stored in their, uh, in their data storage, uh, which is a juicy honeypot of very sensitive um, immutable, immutable data that sits out there. Um, and then you have those privacy and security uh, techniques such as local authentication where Yes, you enroll your biometric template securely on your trusted chip or the secure enclave uh, on your phone. But what you end up having is that uh, basically you're married to, to your device that you can use. If you forget or lose your device, you can't authenticate. Uh, and what you end up from a corporate's perspective is you have a fragmented authentication experience based on which device your users uh, or customers are using. And what we do with uh, zero-knowledge proofs and, and secure multi-party computation is essentially marrying both uh, or combining the user experience benefits of ubiquitous access with the privacy and security benefits of local authentication technology, where you end up fragmenting a user's face in nonsensical pieces of data strings that in combination with the user's device and the user's biometric traits, such as the face and the behaviors, can be recombined on the spot for a one-time use. So you can recombine your passwords to log into a service a one-time code to authorize a payment or a cryptographic key to sign a cryptographic claim uh, or digital signature after which that secret disappears. Um, and you end up having nothing sensitive on the device. So if you lose your device, there's nothing sensitive in terms of information that you're losing. Neither is there anything stored in a central repository that can be attacked or breached. Um, so you end up having both. Um, and that is based on, on these yeah, advanced cryptographic primitives that, that we're employing. So one of the obstacles to cryptocurrency adoption has got to be the user experience. Things like keeping keys secure, worrying about losing devices. Paulo, do you think these new identity solutions can help with the, with the cryptocurrency user experience? Absolutely. I, I think they, they can be a game changer there because um, y you're correct. If I, if I have a cryptographic key, as the average users, I, am I going to lose this? Am I, am I going to forget the, the password that protects the key? Am I gonna, is the drive that on which this key is stored going to break at some point tomorrow, next year, 10 years from now? Right? So the way we, we think this, this problem should be addressed is by um, having a, a secure and privacy-preserving way to manage these keys um, it, it remotely. Effectively, what we have is that the user 
uh, can unlock and reconstruct their keys any any at any time by by uh, showing their biometric and by by uh, doing some cryptographic processing on that biometric information. Um, you can lose your face. You can probably not lose your fingerprints. So that that's one problem that users don't have. Not only that, uh, you can't really forget how to use a system that only requires you to uh, to show your face to it or or to put a, f- a fingerprint. Uh, a finger on your on a fingerprint scanner, so um, it's easier to use. It's easier to learn how to use it. Uh, there is a, a much smaller barrier to entry. I mean, think about um, showing your face to a camera rather than writing down a twelve random words on a piece of paper. That then you also have to think where you're going to store it, and are you going to trust the place where you're going to store it, and so on. So. Uh, I think that the better to entry is much lower. Uh, the ease of use is much higher. The reliability of the system of a system like this is much higher. So we think that could be that could be something that can change things significantly. And again, all this without without compromising in terms of privacy or security, because no one still can see your keys. No one still can see your uh, your biometrics. So something that is as secure as local local custodianship, but at the same time as flexible and 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 also as as easy to use as uh, remote custodianship. So the other problem that consumers face is scammers. Um, cryptocurrency giveaway scams where people ask you to send them cryptocurrency and they say they'll send you more back and they don't. Um, we've seen work at home scams, check scams. Is is can any of these technologies help protect consumers or does it have to? Is it does it have to be education, Fabian? What do you what do you think is going to help with that problem? Yeah, I think I think there's several things that uh, where, where these technologies can help. Well, certainly awareness is is a great first first step but then when it comes to to these scams and phishing attempts etc i think it's one um yeah being um i mean making sure that you you're checking uh the the information and and the sources where where this um yeah information is is coming from or the these requests are coming from and first of all enabling enabling security measures and in the fact of two-factor authentication multi-factor authentication on all your accounts certainly with cryptocurrency Exchange accounts, for example, and you want to make sure that this access is protected. Uh, you're not reusing the password that you're using uh, with your Facebook account uh, or your Gmail, uh, etc. And then um, I think that's one. Um, and obviously, if um, you have uh, a strong customer um, authentication product that has this privacy and security technology built in and allows the customer to basically access these services with a simple look at the phone. Um, this is something that would change change this security paradigm radically. Um, so I guess the other problem that we've seen, given that cryptocurrency, the industry with the exchanges are somewhat nascent and they're kind of trying to figure out how what their business looks like and what their operations should look like, there have been a large number of high-profile thefts of millions of dollars worth of crypto from these exchanges. Can these technologies help them or do they just have to mature, Paula? They can certainly help. Of course, there is a there's a maturity that that has to happen as well. Increased maturity has to happen. Uh, but this technology can certainly help. Um, in one way, um, they can, the one way in which they can help is to give uh, control of of assets to user uh, more than more than exchanges. So, uh, not necessarily all the assets that are in exchange needs to be there at all time. It's it's often a convenience for the users themselves. So, uh, being able to take care of 
of their own keys in a secure way enables the users to actually take control of that. And that can substantially change uh, the, the, the equation there in terms of how much of these cryptocurrencies can actually be stolen and, and therefore also the incentive. So although, of course, it's, it's primarily a matter of, of having more secure exchange and more mature exchanges, uh, clearly on, this can help also on the, on the user's, point, on user's side. So we're just about out of time. Uh, I'd like to ask you guys where you see the industry going in the next couple of years, let's say five years. And I'll ask one of you about the sort of cons what it's going to look like from the consumer side and one of you what it's going to kind of look like from the enterprise side. And I think I'll start with you, Paolo, and uh, you can pick which side you want to take. I'll take the consumer side. Um, so... Yes, I, I do think that the industry is going to change a lot in the next five years. Uh, we are just we, we, we just passed a, a several huge scandals that had really raised awareness of, of privacy and security issues for users. Uh, just a, a little while back, uh, Cambridge Analytica, for instance, and, and um, now users finally understand the, the value of privacy, which is one step closer to uh, closing the gap between what they claim and what they actually do. Right? Um, so I, I see a, a huge push for um, for for a change not only in, in the past one, three, five years uh, from, from the user's point of view. Uh, I think that there is going to be a democratization of technologies they use um, uh, cryptography for protecting people's secrets, uh, even more than what we've seen so far. I think this is going to become more and more uh, widespread simply because uh, it's going to be easier. It's going to become easier and easier to use these technologies. The awareness is going to increase. It has already increased. And we're, we're reaching a critical tipping point, I think, where uh, these technologies are not only ready, but people are also aware and ready to use them. So um, there are a lot of things that the uh, public administration is also doing uh, and, and governments are doing that will also push consumers to uh, want more of this technology and, and, and use more of this technology. Imagine as a user that you could have, um, say, an identity box, for, for lack of a better term, where you can have um, information related to you. You can have um, your, uh, your date of birth, your place of birth, you can have some financial information, and, and use cryptography to do selective disclosure of some of that information to parties that need to have it, right? Um, you can you can uh, register for a driver's license with that, but just disclosing the bare minimum that is needed for that. Uh, you can open a bank account without having to, uh, to to go through all the paperwork that in some countries is, is it requires time and effort that is, is often not warranted. Um, and without, without having any uh, diminish security uh, because of that. So I, I think as soon as users will see uh, the benefits of this kind of technologies, they will they would definitely want to see. And we are already seeing some of it. We're already seeing some push. So I'm, I, I have a very positive outlook of what's going to come in the next five years. So Fabian, where do you see it on the more of the enterprise side? No, I totally agree with what Paolo said. And I think the industry and, and the web will be a place where security, privacy, and convenience isn't a trade-off uh, anymore, but the norm. Uh, and this notion of empowering people by giving them control of their personal data, um, I think is something that will eventually not just be a part of compliance, legal or auditing, but a real enabler for business and ultimately trust in customers and users. And I think this is a future that we want to live in. Uh, that's something we want to help create. And we believe with Keyless, uh, we can contribute in, in or to it achieving this vision uh, and very excited about what's to come. Thank you, Paolo and Fabio, for joining me today. 
Well, thank you, David. Thanks, David, for having us. It was a pleasure hosting you on Ripple's newest podcast, Blockstars. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions about this episode or any feedback for new episodes, please reach out to me on Twitter at Joel Katz, J-O-E-L-K-A-T-Z, or to the Ripple team on Twitter at Ripple. See you around the blockchain. 